We're in the middle of a great series called Letting People See Jesus. We're probably about two, two and a bit months into it. And uh, if you're here for the first time, this series has been really focused at us uh, trying to see Jesus' life lived out chronologically. You know, sometimes we hear stories which happen at all different times in his life. But we're trying now to follow the process as you were, as he's ministered and to see what God's done in him and through him. Our goal really has been to try and learn a lot more about who Jesus is. And our goal has been to try and see him more clearly. Uh, a number of weeks ago I preached about how, you know, sometimes we have an idea of what Jesus is like and what he looks like. And even as we worship, that determines how we worship him. And this series goal, I suppose, has been for us to understand more of who he is and what he wants, and how he is, and reflect that in our lives so that others can see him through us. Amen. Well, this week, I, uh, I want to, to speak slightly differently. I want to talk about letting people see the Father through Jesus. Um, because I was quite challenged over the last couple of weeks about how we see the Father and how we relate to the Father. Because a lot of this is how we relate to Jesus. And I want to talk more about how we relate to the Father. Sometimes I think like with Jesus, we have misconceptions. We might have some misconceptions in relation to our Heavenly Father. So I want to begin this morning and tell you about my story a little bit. When I was much younger, when I was seven years old, um, my mom and dad went through a rocky period in their marriage and eventually parted ways. At seven years old, my folks got divorced. And um, my my mom essentially spirited me away from South Africa where we were living and moved me uh, with her to Zimbabwe and effectively we began a new life there. My mom met uh, a new guy and got married Um, but the point that I want to make today is that for 23 years I had no contact with my dad, well very little actually and uh, after 23 years when I was 30 years old I found him again or Heidi's sister was very involved in the process of that. I was reunited with him after 23 years. But during those 23 years, the point that I want to make is, as a seven-year-old boy, as time went on, I, I guess not seeing my dad or being around him so much made me forget what he was like. And so in many ways, I began to rely on what my mom would tell me about my dad. And unfortunately, a lot of what my mom told me about my dad was untrue. And so for 23 years, I had this understanding of my dad forming in my mind and in my heart that was incorrect, okay? And essentially what was happening, I was beginning to see my dad through the lens of my mother, if that makes sense to you. You know, when you go outside on a clear night and you look at the moon, it's bright and it's wonderful, but it's so far away, that you can't see a lot. And so what do you do? You get yourself a telescope. And in that telescope is a shaped, polished piece of glass called the lens. And when you look through that lens and you look at the moon, you see it more clearly than ever. And you see the kind of detail that you had no idea was there. And so that's, my, that's kind of how I want to begin this morning. When we start to think about our Heavenly Father... I want to look at the lens by which we see him. What is the lens that you see God through? I think, if I think about it, there are three common lenses. There we are. 
three common lenses which distort the way that we see God. And I wonder if us, as I speak this morning, you might kind of say, yes, that might be me today. The first one is, a lot of the ways that we see God are determined by our tradition. Okay? We've used tradition a lot through this series, and Greg's spoken very, very well on this whole idea of tradition and how it can be unhealthy. When I talk about tradition today, I basically want to talk about what is your experience of the church. So you might have come, I suppose in many ways, uh, there are two ditches that we have to be careful that we don't fall into when we talk about God and our tradition of him. On one, and on one side, you might have come from a, a, a tradition in church that presents God as being very authoritative, perhaps very aloof, unemotional, kind of distant, not the kind of God that you feel that you can readily relate with, okay, because of the way he's been presented, okay, which is one distortion. The other is you may have come from a tradition in church where people are very free when they talk about the Father, and the danger is that it's almost over-familiar, right, We can be over-familiar with God in the way that we interact with him. It is possible. And so my first distortion as we speak this morning that we might have that affects the way that we see God is our tradition in church. It may be helpful. It may be really unhelpful. Another way that we can have a distorted view of our heavenly father is because of our earthly father. I don't know what kind of family background you have come from. You might have had an awesome dad. And he has been really helpful for you to relate to God in the sense of God as your father. You may have not had a dad, right? Or you may have had a really rubbish dad, okay? Something may have happened in your life that has made you think about father figures in a really negative way, okay? That happens a lot, unfortunately, So maybe you're in that position today. You have a distorted view of God because of your earthly father. And the the third one that I want to talk about this morning is you you may have been one of those people who has dipped in and out of the Bible. Maybe you're not a a big church goer. You might be here today and you're one of those who have just looked in the Old Testament and just seen this fire and brimstone kind of a God who strikes thousands of people down dead willy-nilly who seems to just be really harsh and really judgmental. Maybe that's how you feel about God this morning. That's a common view that people have. They don't want to entertain Christianity because they just can't relate to this savage, vicious God who just kills people left, right and center. You know, really harsh. I don't know if you relate to any of those today. But I, uh, um, the, point, the, the kind of angle that I want to take this morning is that for us to really understand who God is as our Father, we need to look through the lens of Jesus. Jesus is the truest, most complete lens that we can look through when we try and understand who is God the Father. What's he really like? Okay? Jesus and a number of others made some really significant statements. He said, Jesus did, of himself. We'll have a look at it up here. Please. Right. He said in John 14 verse 7, If you really know me, 
you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. What's Jesus saying about himself right there? He says, if you know me, you know my father. If you know me, you know my father. And he goes on to say, effectively, because you've seen me, you do know him. He's saying, if you want to know what my dad is like, look at me. Look through me, because I am the truest lens to see what the Father is like. Paul, um, in the book of Colossians, said, The Son is the image, and I've added in brackets there, the visible. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The Bible talks about how no one has seen God. Because if they were to look at him face to face, they'd be consumed. So effectively, Jesus is saying, I am the face of God. When you look at me, you see the Father. I and the Father are one. John, in John 1.18, said, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. And then Jesus said again later on in John 14.10, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Not only did Jesus say, when you see me, you see the Father. What he is saying to us is, whatever I did, whatever I said, that is God. Because Jesus clearly stated, I never came whatsoever to fulfill my own ambitions. I never came to say my own thing. I only ever said what the Father told me to say. And I only ever did what the Father wanted me to do. My life was lived expressly for the Father. So Jesus' life for us this morning, if we, if we just get this point very clearly, Jesus' life is the best and truest lens for us to be able to look at our Heavenly Father today. And so let me ask you this morning, how have you been, how are you relating to God as your Father? Have any of these traditions or these three distortions that I've mentioned this morning, do they apply to you? Are you relating to Him currently as a distant aloof God who is just somewhere out there not really involved perhaps you are one of those people who are over familiar with him maybe maybe that's where you're at are you living in fear of him are you afraid that anything you do he could strike you down I think that sometimes I don't know if you can relate to this idea that when you think about God the father and you think about Jesus sometimes people relate to them like the good cop and the bad cop you know, how God is like the bad cop who comes down heavy and hard. And then Jesus was the kind of the nicer guy who kind of came to relate with you. You know, more easygoing, right? Have you ever felt like that? I definitely have. I, I found for a long time it was way much easier for me to relate to Jesus than to God the Father. Because perhaps I felt one of these distortions was my thing, you know. There's a story in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus shares with us of the prodigal son. And I, I don't, because of time, I don't want us to read that whole story. But in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, Jesus essentially does a fantastic job 
of describing God as our Father. All right? And I'd encourage you to go away and read that story in your own time. But what's the kind of story that he paints? So very quickly, in that story, you have a young guy coming to his dad and saying, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Please, can I have my inheritance now? Because I have things that I want to do. Right? Which may not be a big deal today, but in those days, it was horrendously disrespectful. Because he was effectively saying to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead so that I could have the bucks. Okay? Because I just want to get on with what I want to get on with. And so his father did give him his share of the inheritance. And if you read the story, he ran away to distant towns. Wine, women, and song is how it went. Till he spent all the cash and had nothing left. Found himself sat in a pig's pen, eating pig's food, thinking about the servants in the house that he used to live in and how well they're eating and thinking, what am I doing? What an idiot I've been. And he comes back to his dad. And this is the part that I want us to look at. Because now if you're a dad and you're imagining being treated like that, I don't know how you would want to react when your child comes back. There will be a whole gamut of reactions. But the one that's really important for us today is how the father in the story treats his son when his son comes back after blowing his inheritance, after wishing his dad dead. He comes back. And so what happens? <clears throat> In uh, verse 20 of Luke chapter 15 we read, But while the young guy was still a long way away, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I wonder if that's how you would have treated your son when he'd come home. I think we'd all like to say we would have. But I'm sure that some of us dads would have had a few words ready for our boy when he came home. But this is the point that I want you to, make, want you to understand. The son was on his way back. He didn't have to ring the door and the father walk up and say, Oh, it's you. What are you doing here? His father was looking. His father was positioned in such a way that he could see his son coming back from a very long way away. That's significant, isn't it? That says a lot about the father. It goes on to tell us that the father in the story was filled with compassion. He didn't punch him when he opened the door. He didn't tell the servants to drag him out of the compound and never let him come back. The Bible says the father was filled with compassion for him. Obviously the son was disheveled, dirty, looking hungry. And the, son, the father just had compassion for him. The Bible tells us that the father threw his arms around his son. And he kissed him. I imagine that father was the happiest man alive on that day. It's significant. Because that talks about God as our father and how he treats us. And I was thinking about this story with my own dad. And I can relate to this in a funny way. Right? For 23 years, as I said, I had not had anything to do with my dad. I had forgotten him in many, many ways. But my dad remembered a lot about me because at the time when I was taken away, he was an adult and had very fresh memories. 
And so when we got in touch with him and we went, we took a trip down from Zimbabwe to South Africa to meet him, I was feeling really anxious, I suppose, in a way. I didn't know how I felt. Because in my mind, I had all these ideas about who my dad, my dad was, and they were wrong. But also, how am I going to be on? I don't really know this guy anymore. Do you know what I mean? And so we drove into, into the city and drove up to... They, they lived in a gated complex. And uh, I rang, we rang the bell. I was driving the car. We rang the bell of his, uh, his house in the complex. And uh, it was just like, wow, in a few moments I'm going to see my dad. I wonder what it's going to be like to see him for the first time, you know? I was feeling a bit nervous and a bit apprehensive. How, how was I going to say hi? How was I going to act? Was it going to feel weird? You know? Um, I tell you what, I had not got through that gate, and my dad was running down the driveway. And I had my window open because I'd had to speak into an intercom, and he half dived through the window and was squeezing the heck out of me. And I was like, Awkward, you know, feeling really strange. But my dad was so happy to see me that he could not contain himself. And I was just thinking about that this week, and it brought me to tears. Because I saw it expressed in the Bible. Right? I'll tell you a little bit more about my story but later on. But the father felt compassion for his son and was delighted to see him. So what does that mean for you and I? Talking from God's perspective, how does he relate to us? Okay, Because all we know is how we have been relating to him. But that story tells us something very different maybe to what we've been thinking. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8 verse 15, Paul writes there, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. I want to take a few moments this morning and just bring out two points from this verse, which I think are so significant for us, and how we relate to our heavenly dad. Okay, Really important for us. The first phrase I want to light on is this whole idea of the spirit of adoption. Adoption is a difficult thing for many people in this life. Okay? Often when someone is adopted, it's been because how we've had in our, our family, extended family, parents were killed tragically in a car accident. Okay? And a child was left needing parenting. Sometimes, for whatever reason, Someone has had a baby too young and the responsibility is too much and they just leave that baby somewhere hoping that someone will look after it. Sometimes children come out of a home environment where the parents have mistreated them. It's a really sore subject in many ways. It's wonderful when a, a child is adopted. It's a, it's a wonderful thing for that child to not be alone anymore. But often this whole idea of adoption comes out of a really painful situation. That's how we experience adoption on earth. But when Paul says that we, we don't have to fear again, you know, when someone has come out of one of those environments, there's a real fear that they're going to be abandoned again. There's a real fear often in these people that they have to prove themselves worthy of someone to be able to love them and take them in and accept them as their own. They are, they are driven by this fear of being alone. That's the reality of, 
a lot of people who have been adopted. It's difficult. But when the Bible talks about how we don't have to fear, we don't have to be a slave to that fear of rejection or, or lostness or aloneness because, the, the spirit, because of the spirit of adoption. What is that saying to you and I? When we talk about how we relate to our Heavenly Father and when we read those verses there, what this is saying to us is that our true identity is found in our Heavenly Father. Why is that significant for us today? Because the kind of adoption that we're talking about here is completely different. It is proactive as opposed to reactive. In the world, adoption is reacting to a bad situation potentially. But when the Bible talks about us being adopted through the spirit of adoption, it's saying Something very significant for us that should unlock the way that we relate to our Father. There's a a very famous Christian known as Watchman Nee. You may have heard of him. He was a Chinese Christian leader. And he tells the story of a young man who came to him in deep distress one day. And the story goes that this guy said, No matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I simply cannot seem to be faithful to my Lord. I think I'm losing my salvation. And Watchman Nee responded to him, Do you see this dog here? He's my dog. He's house trained. He never makes a mess. He's obedient. He is a pure delight to me. And then he went on to say, in the kitchen, I have a son. I have a baby son. He makes a mess. He throws his food around. He fouls his clothes. He is a total mess. Right? Number one, we have a dog, well-trained, obedient, no mess, We have a baby boy in the kitchen, pooing in his pants, throwing food all over the place. A very different situation. And Watchman Nee asked this man a very important question. He said, but tell me, who is going to inherit my kingdom? Who is going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog, my son is my heir. And what I want to tell you today is that you have been called and you have been chosen. Your true identity. You have been called and you have been chosen before you even were a figment in anyone's imagination. God saw you. And he chose you. Before you had the chance to be a good boy and pull up your socks or a good girl and do the right thing. Before you had the chance to mess it all up horrendously. God called you and he chose you. He adopted you before you even were considered. That's significant. Very significant. You were called and you were chosen by your heavenly father. 
Not only were you called and chosen, you are completely and unconditionally loved by him. And you are accepted. Even when you make the biggest mess of your life, God looks at you and his heart beats compassion and love. He loves you. You are his child. And nothing that you do or say could make him love you more. Nothing that you do or say could make him love you less. Because his love for you is firm. It's established. It's done. It's complete. You are called and chosen. You are loved and accepted. And you are worthy to be an heir of God's kingdom. Hey, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how messy you are or how big a problem you think you've made, no matter how unworthy you think you are or undeserving, you are an heir of the kingdom of God. It is your inheritance. No one can snatch it away. I want you to understand today, when you think about God as your father, he is the one who gives you your identity. Not this life. Not what's happened to you. Not what people have said about you. Not what you may have done. None of that matters. Because Jesus has done it all for you. And you are the brother or the sister of Jesus Christ. You are the son and the daughter of your heavenly father. Praise God. My second point that I want to make this morning is that we have intimacy with God. How many of you have heard of Ronald Reagan? Maybe the older ones. When he died and they held his funeral service, his son Michael got up to, uh, to give a eulogy. And when he got up, he said, some of you may have known my father as governor. Really important position. Politically, socially. Some of you might have known him as governor. Others of you might have known him as president. The most important man in America. But he went on to say, but I know him as dad. Dad. This is a great scandal in the universe, let me tell you. That the king of kings, the lord of lords, the one who has the name above every other name, who makes presidents and kings and queens look as nothing, as nobody, in his eyes, you call him Father, Abba, Father. You get to call him Dad. You don't have to stand afar off and say, Oh God, oh God. You can come into his presence now and you can relate to him as your heavenly Father. Not as some distant, hard, uncaring, aloof God who wants to strike down anybody who makes the slightest mistake, but as one who has called and chosen you, 
who came in the flesh to die for you, and who has made it so that we can walk directly into his presence, who one day we will stand before him for eternity and call him Father, Dad. That word Abba is quite a colloquial term. It's not like, oh, Father, everyone stand by your beds, you know, like uh, the sound of music maybe, kind of father idea. But Dad... When he walks in through the door after a long day's work, you run up and you throw your arms around his waist and say, Hi, Dad. That's what we're talking about. Now, I can see some of you are sitting here and your brain is going, Whoa, I just can't get that. But I want to tell you today, that is the reality. Through the story that Jesus tells us here, we see that God is a loving and a tender parent. He forgives. He heals the brokenhearted. I shared a few weeks ago how he sings over us and how he loves us unconditionally. I don't know about you, but when I start to think about God like that, I feel myself becoming very drawn to him. When I begin to get that, I begin to feel intimacy with that father. Because he's not absent in my life. He's not uncaring or unloving. Actually, he's the opposite. He cares about every detail in my life. William Barclay, a great biblical commentator, wrote, True worship is when a person, through their spirit, attains intimacy and friendship with God. True worship is intimacy and friendship with God. And so as we worship on a Sunday, when we worship with our lives, don't feel like you can just worship the good cop, because the big cop, I don't really get him. What Jesus is saying, we're the same. We're like each other. Look at me. I'm like a mirror in which you see God's face. I'm like a mirror in which you see God live his life out. That's what the Father is like. So let me finish this morning. I want to talk a little bit about this whole idea of intimacy because I talked about earlier on how we can fall into the two ditches and how we can become so aloof to God or we can become so over-familiar that we lose a bit of perspective. I want to talk about that today as I end because there's a tension, I believe, that we need to carry in the way that we relate to the Father. Okay, In the New Testament... There is a word most commonly used to describe worship, which has two facets to it, which I think are really helpful for us. Okay? That Greek word is, carry on, proskuneo. When the New Testament describes worship, and when it uses this word, it's really significant. It's the most popular word in the New Testament for worship. And this is what it means. Listen to me. It means To come towards and kiss in reverence. So on one hand, you have this whole idea of intimacy and tenderness, of coming towards. You know, some of us have thought about God like that. Don't come any closer, I'm too holy. Keep away. Some of us relate to God like that, whereas this is talking about how we come close in tenderness and intimacy, but too with great respect. We are coming to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He loves us intimately, 
but there's respect in the way that we relate to him. <clears throat> I want to finish this morning with a bit more of my story. When I, um, when I met my dad again at the age of 30, after not seeing him for 23 years, <clears throat> I was speaking to people that were beginning to show me a very different side of my, my real dad, because by then my mom had passed away. And they'd begin to make very clear to me how my mom's version of the story was not the real version. You know? Um, she had told me that my dad had had an affair. And I remember times when there was fighting in the house. I remember the one time when my dad punched a hole in a door. Okay, And in the context of the very little that I knew... What my mom told me, I just accepted. And I believed that he had mistreated us, that he had left us for another woman. Whenever I had birthday cards and Christmas cards that my dad would send me with money in, my mom made me send them back. And she made me write the one time, please don't make contact with us anymore. And I justified it because I believed that he had treated us so badly. So that's how I felt about him for a very long time. And when it came time to meet him again, and I'd spoken to other people, I actually discovered it was my mom who had had the affair. You know? And I'd made these judgments in my heart about my dad, and about how he had treated us. And I suddenly started to feel terrible. That I had completely had the wrong end of the sticker with my dad that I had treated him very unfairly. And when it came time to meet him again, I was, this was in the forefront of my mind, and I, I, I was compelled to say to my dad, I'm so sorry for the way that I treated you, for the way that I must have rejected you, when all you were trying to do was reach out to me. And you know what he said that was so significant for me? He said, I don't care about all of that. I don't care. It means nothing. Because I have you back. I want to challenge us all today here, folks. We all fall into that boat where we must judge God as our Father. Where we take what people say and we assimilate that and we make that how we relate to him but I don't think he's like we imagine him to be. I think he's like the prodigal son's father. I think he's like my father, who doesn't care what you've done, who doesn't care where you've been, what you've said, what you've thought. He just wants you back. And you might be sat here today And you've wandered away from the Lord. And you feel like if I come back, I'm just going to get a hiding. I'm just going to get told what a mistake I've made, how rubbish I've been. Maybe you're even just afraid to come back because you just think I'm not worthy to come back. 
Maybe you've never actually approached God whatsoever because you've felt completely unworthy. I want to tell you today, your father loves you dearly. And he is filled with compassion for you. The most important thing to him is not how you come back or what you've done, but that you're home. Let's bow our heads this morning.